0: also very excited for our for what God wants to say to us this morning. I do believe God has something to say to each one of us this morning. And I am not just saying that. I believe that God has something for each and every one of us this morning without exception. And so I've been praying for you and for me this week that we would First of all, that we would understand that and know that, that the king of the universe wants to talk with you. And so will you take your Bible, please, and meet me in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Today we come to the final week of our five-part summer series on the kingdom parables as recorded here in Matthew 13. And today's parable is appropriately listed last. It comes last because in many ways it is a final statement that stresses our need for an urgent and meaningful response to Jesus. In fact, I think, I really believe this, that, that each parable thus far has essentially built upon the previous one so that by the time Jesus comes to this seventh and final parable, the parable of the net, he is essentially wrapping everything he said thus far into one final statement slash appeal for response. How many of you are familiar, this, this, may, this, may, this may test the memory of some of you, how many of you are familiar with the popular TV series Dragnet that, eventually, that initially launched in the 1950s, was relaunched in the 60s, went dormant for a while, came back again in the early 2000s, It was actually made into a movie, a 1987 movie, a comedy starring Dan Aykroyd and uh, Tom Hanks. Dragnet followed Sergeant Joe Friday as he attempted to curb crime in the city of Los Angeles. It was about a police force that essentially served as a dragnet which swept through L.A., capturing all kinds of people, investigating their goodness or badness in the eyes of the law. You may know that the uh, probably the most common, well-known line from the series is "Just the facts, just the facts." And therefore, that television program. As I thought about it this week, that television program. Perhaps captures the intent of today's parable perfectly. For in the parable of the net, Jesus is concerned with final judgment, with goodness and badness. And the implicit question is how will we appear when we are judged? according to the facts of our lives in light of the law of God. Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven and its activity on earth today. He is reminding us of God's grace and that we are moving toward a culmination of all things. He is revealing what's going on behind the scenes of human history. And in the lives, concerning the lives of all men and women. And the takeaway here is to not take for granted the amazing grace of God. Because judgment is coming and justice will prevail. I want to read this parable with you, very brief. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 47. Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and set down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, we thank you for our time. In your word this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word reveals your heart. That you deal with us honestly and lovingly. You present truth to us in ways we can understand even as we've walked through these parables. You appeal to us time and time again. You assure us of your work in our lives and in our world And you're kind enough to not only tell us what we think we want to hear. But to lovingly tell us what we need to hear. And so this morning, would you help us, please, to hear your voice, even as you speak to us now in this place And we ask these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, the great Savior who stands above the whole of human history and says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. May we see him afresh this morning and may we go to him with a full abandonment of our lives. And we ask it in his name. Amen. In the parables we've considered thus far, Jesus is drawing from everyday experiences, uh, everyday examples like farming. We saw that in the parables of the sower and the parable of the weeds. Uh, Gardening. We saw that in the parable of the mustard seed baking. We saw that in the parable of the leaven. Uh, property procurement. We saw that in the parable of the hidden treasure. And then in the, even from the world of business, as we saw in the parable of the pearl, and in keeping with his pattern, using common, easily understandable illustrations, he now draws from the field of fishing. And I want to take today's parable in four parts. <clears throat> because I believe in this parable we learn we learn of four things. We learn of a wide net, an appointed time, an essential distinction, and a final consequence. A wide net, an appointed time, an essential distinction, <clears throat> And a final consequence, which together present the grace and judgment of God. First a, first, a wide net. A wide net. Fishing is an ancient occupation in almost every culture in the world. It involves many different techniques, and this particular scripture is referring to a type of fishing called Sane Fishing. S-E-I-E, S-E-I-N-E, Sane Fishing. And there are two kinds of Sane Fishing found in Jesus' day. The first is called Purse Saning because of the technique used to gather the net from the bottom of the seabed. So the net would be laid on the bottom of the seabed, and then as it's drawn up, it looks like a purse emerging from the water with fish inside. The other type is called beach seining. And this is probably the method uh, of fishing that Jesus is talking about here. In this method, a group of men weighed out into the water, sometimes they may use small boats, and the net is strung out between them uh, uh, on a long line, and there are cork floats placed on top of the net, so you can picture this. There are cork floats placed on top of the net to keep it on the surface of the water, and there are lead weights or weights of some sort placed on the bottom of the net so that it pulls the net all the way down to the bed of the sea. (coughs) So the net is stretching from the surface of the water to the very bottom of the sea. And then slowly, (coughs) the men move toward the beach... And closer together, dragging the net with them. The net is encircling everything in its path. And when the men come together, they take the edges of the net and they pull the entire load onto the beach. And the sorting begins. The kingdom of heaven is like a net, said Jesus, that was thrown into the sea, And gathered fish of every kind. Here, the kingdom is not the fishermen, not the fish, not those who sort the fish, or even the outcome of the sorting itself. Instead, the kingdom is the net. The Sea of Galilee was abundant in fish, and this type of sane fishing. Typically it involves nets made with very, very small mesh so that even the smallest type of fish are caught. And because the net extends from the top of the water to the bottom of the sea, it catches every species of fish from big. To small from from bottom dwellers like flatfish and cod to those which swim near the surface of the water, like sardines or mackerel or uh, anchovies or herring, and it catches all the fish in between. the disciples who were with Jesus at the time, being very familiar with how to fish, knew that if one wanted to fish for a specific kind of fish this kind of net was not the tool of choice you do not use this kind of net for specific fish and so this detail certainly would have caught their attention that it gathered fish of every kind because to them god's kingdom was synonymous with israel Theirs was the kingdom. They were the chosen people. So the thought of the kingdom stretching beyond Israel to include people of every kind simply didn't jive with everyday Jewish expectation. The possibility that Quote, Outsiders were welcomed by God, ran counter to prevailing thought. But Jesus is redefining cultural misconceptions, teaching that God's kingdom is inclusive and open to people of every kind. Amen. <clears throat> Last Sunday, for example, I shared this with our staff and board this week. How last Sunday I was so encouraged when we took that informal survey about how long we've been walking with Jesus, and how we had some in our church who were less than five years in the Lord and others who were more than 50 years, and still others who spanned everything in between. And each one of us, regardless of how long we've been with Jesus, came from different places and different circumstances, and at different times in our lives, we all essentially we represent different kinds of fish. God's kingdom is open to people of every race, every nation, every culture and background. It's open to people from every walk of life. Uh, It's open to men and women, young and old, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, morally upright and the absolute immoral, religious and irreligious. So I do not want us to miss the grace of God in this fact that God, in His great love, has cast a wide net out into the sea of humanity with the intent to save people of every kind. And when it was full, Jesus continues, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. The words, when it was full, refer to an appointed time. To the time when the net of God's kingdom will be drawn and the fish will be assessed, which Jesus says will be at the end of the age. Church, if you've ever pondered why God doesn't end evil right now, which he certainly could, it's because he is patient and he is loving and he's patiently waiting for the net to be full. He wants all the fish the net can hold because in his kingdom there is room for more. But a time is coming when the net will be drawn and the window of opportunity will close. Have you ever regretted a missed opportunity? I know I have. Just recently, actually, I had the opportunity, this is very small, very trivial in the light of things, but an opportunity nonetheless. I had the opportunity to purchase something at a significantly reduced cost. And if you know anything about me, you know I'm a researcher, so I did my research online, I read all the reviews. I looked at all of the other prices, and I, in fact, learned that this is a good deal. I talked to people I know, and they assured me and reconfirmed that, yes, that is a good deal. I talked to my wife, and she said, yes, that is a good deal. Go for it. And yet, when the time of opportunity came, I froze. And I let it pass me by. And I have regretted it ever since. Because I have indeed come to learn that it was a very good deal. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Maybe it's not a purchase. Maybe it's a relationship you left untended too long. Maybe it's a conversation you ignored or avoided. Maybe it's something as simple as wanting to incorporate a good habit into your life only to realize. That years have passed in a sea of excuses. Whatever it is, there are times in life when the window of opportunity is open for only so long, and to miss it is no small thing. We are in this, in this, this. This time of redemptive history we are in the age of opportunity the Bible says behold now is a favorable time behold now today is the day of salvation the apostle Peter who was there he was there when Jesus spoke this parable later Peter would write the Lord you see the Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but rather God is patient toward you. He doesn't wish that any should perish, Peter said, but that all should reach repentance. But then he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, meaning the window of opportunity will close unexpectedly. And then we have this admonition from St. Paul to not presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that, that His kindness means to lead you to repentance. The words, when it was full, speak to the grace of God in that He is giving us ample opportunity today to respond favorably to Him before it's too late. And So from a wide net to an appointed time, we come to an essential distinction. Men drew the net ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad, and so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and they will come and they will separate the evil from the righteous. And at present, this net, it gathers all kinds of fish, but eventually it will be brought ashore, and what happens then is key to our understanding of the parable, for at the appointed time, the good and bad will be separated accordingly. And notice, church, no explanation is given as to what distinguishes good from bad, but there is a distinction, isn't there? Nonetheless, at that time, there will be no mistaking the righteous from the wicked." Which begs the question, who are the righteous and who are the wicked? Because we want to make sure we're in the right group, right? And when Paul answered this all important question, you know what he said? He said, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. He said, all have turned aside. They've all become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. He continues, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they don't know because there is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is describing the human race apart from God. And wouldn't you agree that it is an apt description? From generation to generation, we breed sin and misery while pursuing our own self-centered ambitions. By nature, you see, we are stricken with this disease called sin. And unless God intervenes, we are already condemned. Please hear this. It is not that we start off in right standing and slowly lose our way, it's that we start off having already lost our way and need to be righted again. The great dilemma, though, is that we cannot right our own way. The moral corruption is too great, so we have to be made right by someone else who isn't corrupted by sin as we are, this is what Scripture means when it says, when a person places trust in Jesus, he or she is cleansed from all their sins and clothed with His righteousness. Jesus, who is sinless, has done for us what we could never do, You see, God is telling us that the cause of all our misery and, and the aching of our lives is because we're not living as He created us to live. But the good news is that in Jesus Christ, God has made a way to rescue us from our own corruption and set us back on the right path. In the parable, that's what makes the good good. That's what makes the righteous righteous. That's the distinguishing mark. It refers to those persons who've entrusted their lives to Jesus and have therefore been made right by Him. And so God's kingdom is like a net, saining through the restless, rebellious tides of humanity. And whoever is caught in In it is forced to declare whether he is for God or not, whether she is for Jesus or not. The good, the righteous in this parable are those who hear of Jesus. And yield to his lordship and care. The bad and evil, however, are those who hear the same good news but do not act on it or reject it altogether. A wide net. An appointed time. An essential distinction. And fourthly, a final consequence. It says the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I need to admit something to you this morning that I do not like this verse. This statement makes me very uncomfortable. All week I have been thinking about this verse. wondering if somehow I can avoid this verse. I've always been very uneasy with those passages in Scripture that speak to judgment and damnation and hell. I do not like them. There's nothing pleasant about hell, and I don't enjoy thinking about it. I certainly don't enjoy talking about it. But but I've come this week to take comfort in the fact that the one who speaks the most in the Bible about hell is Jesus Christ himself. And the reason, church, the reason that comforts me is because Jesus came to seek and save people from it his heart is to save. It's God's heart of love and therefore I believe Jesus I believe Jesus does not enjoy talking about hell any more than I do, but because he is love, he cannot help but warn us of the danger of coming to the time in that of that final assessment without the covering of his righteousness. Listen to these verses. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God said, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Have I? Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? No, I'd much rather that they would turn, that he would turn from his way and live. And again he said, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, so please turn and live. And yet again, He says, as I live, declares the Lord, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. And then God pleads, turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? We're told in 1 Timothy 2.4 that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But those who come to that day, those who come to that day, to that day having rejected the truth, will find themselves in utter and eternal despair. When the fullness of time has come, when the net is drawn, when distinction is made, that's it. There will be no more opportunity. And so like a mirror, like a mirror, this parable causes us to assess ourselves now while there's still time. To assess our response to Jesus now Now, today, so we can know where we'll stand then. Absolutely, it sobers us by the severity of the consequence. And it compels us to stop playing games with God to stop taking His grace for granted, to stop pretending and convincing ourselves that we can give Jesus the occasional nod while essentially living lives devoid of Him. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus and all that stuff. And yet, really, what's shouting from our lives is anything but... Some of you are familiar with the late pastor Ray Stedman. Ray once told a story so good and applicable to what we 're talking about today. He once told a story about how he met, he met a, a couple of former hell's angels. They were husband and wife. they were dressed in black. they had the, uh, the leather jackets with the the emblems emblazoned on the backs of them, the the kind of symbols that are meant to make a statement and be in your face. You know what I'm talking about? They rode motorcycles. They had long hair. They were tatted. They appeared to be all you'd imagine, a hell's angel to be, except that these two had come to Christ. And they began ministering to their hails, angels, friends in the name of Christ. And they did this at great risk to themselves, saying, this is what they told Ray, saying that after they had become Christians, the other members of the gang surrounded them. And they said, look, if you get religion, that's on you. We don't mind you getting religion. Look, we don't even mind you uh, talking about religion. And then they said this. But you'd never, you better never, ever, ever Be phony about it. Because the moment we sense you're pretending will kill you. Can you imagine ministering under those terms? Let me just say how thankful I am that you've not put that pressure on me. But if even the hell's angels are willing to warn us of the danger of playing games with God, How much more does Jesus want that we would be honest about where we stand? When the net is drawn at the end of the age, I don't want you to be tossed out. I don't want you to miss out. And so I don't want you to miss the importance of this. The net that is the kingdom of God cannot be avoided by anyone, whether you swim near the surface of the water or on the murky bottom of the sea. You will have to face the reality of God and of God's just judgment and all who cho- choose all who choose to go all who choose the way of sin now will receive sin's penalty then sin and evil will be removed forever because god is holy and righteous and good and because god upholds and preserves and protects what's good in love you see he is absolutely committed to dealing justly with sin and wrongdoing And so, in the end, as I paraphrase C.S. Lewis, in the end, there will be two kinds of people, basically those who've come to Christ and say to God, Thy will be done, and those who've ignored or rejected Christ, to whom God will say, Thy will be done. So are you responding to the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Be honest. Be honest. Are you responding? Just admit to God who you are today and who you want to become by His grace. Begin to follow Jesus. Begin to follow the ways of Jesus and come to this place of absolute trust in Jesus where you are saying, Jesus... You are my King. You are my Lord. You are the Savior of my soul, and you will be made righteous. Receive God's love for you and confess your love for Him. Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven while reminding us of God's grace and that we are moving toward the culmination of all things. And so do not take this grace for granted, for judgment is coming. And justice will prevail. And every person, every person, every person who welcomes the kingdom now will be welcomed into the kingdom then. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we, even we, should be called children of God. Amen. God, these are some heavy words. And even now I sense that they are sinking into the hearts of some of these, my brothers and sisters. And that's a good thing. I pray that we would not too quickly pass over these truths. But that we would glory in your grace and in this age of opportunity. That we may rejoice in Jesus today and forevermore. Do all the necessary work in our lives. Oh, Holy Spirit, even now, would you be putting your finger on those areas of our lives where we are avoiding you, perhaps where we are pretending to know you when in fact we don't, where we are embracing Sin, shine the light of truth into the, even the darkest recesses of our being so that we might be good through and through. Do this, we pray, for your name's sake and for our present and eternal good. Amen.